They said getting started was the hardest part, but no one told you how hard it is to scale a custom service business. It's time for your team to step up, but your clients want you. Discover how to scale to seven figures and beyond by freeing up time and getting your team to run whole parts of the company so you can focus on scaling profits. This is the Hands-Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. Hello, Mandy Ellefson here with the Hands-Off CEO podcast. Today, I am joined by Jeremy Pope from The Closing Engine. And Jeremy is actually interviewing me about how to hire and onboard, train an operations manager, even if you don't have the budget yet to hire them, and what you can do if you already have a similar role like that on your team, and how to utilize this person to get you out of the weeds, to get you out of the day-to-day so you can focus on growing your company. So that is what we are talking about today. The audio quality is not quite what we like to see at the Hands Off CEO podcast, but it was a great interview and I really wanted to share it here. So you might notice we started it off with the hopes of talking a little bit more about his process for hiring salespeople. And we might be able to do that in another episode if you reach out to me and tell me that's what you'd like to see more of. But we didn't really get a chance to do that. and It was already getting kind of long. So listen to it from that perspective and understand that that's where we're coming from. But this was just too good not to share because there's just so much gold there. And how this came about was that Jeremy reaches out to me. He's like, Mandy, I really want to know more about this. And I'm like, I'd like to hear your process for hiring salespeople too. This would be a a kind of a fun thing to talk about. So you get to hear Jeremy and I going back and forth and really picking each other's brains. Mostly he's picking my brain. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Well, folks, it is not 1.30, it's 1.36 Eastern, and we are live. I had a little bit of technical difficulty, so I apologize for that. But I am very excited to be talking with Mandy Ellefson. She is the hands-off CEO, the principal of the hands-off CEO, and she teaches an awful lot about delegating and team building and things like that. I've been impressed by the results I've seen her clients get. And we were talking about hiring operations people and hiring salespeople. And we realized, oh, why don't we talk about this stuff live on Facebook together and really dig into the most important things about hiring an ops manager, the most important things about hiring salespeople. And as we help each other out, let's help out anybody who wants to watch as well. So thank you so much for doing this, Mandy. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm really excited to pick your brain on this too, because there's just like this bit of attention going back and forth. I mean, I even just had this conversation yesterday Mm -hmm. with a service business owner, but like, do you hire a salesperson first? Do you hire an operations manager first? Like who comes first? Both of these roles have so much uncertainty And they're very challenging roles to hire. But at the same time, you get it right. Oh, wow. Like you can add millions of dollars to your company. Yeah. Yeah. I think my people know what I do and your people know what you do. So why don't we introduce ourselves a little bit more thoroughly here for each other's audiences? And then we can really dive into the nitty gritty here. Sounds great. Well, why don't you introduce yourself? Because you introduced me quite nicely, and then I'll just kind of jump in a little bit from there. Okay, that works. I run theclosingengine.com, and we help 
small service providers and some coaches as well, but mainly it's done for you services that we're dealing with. We come in and we be the marketing department and the sales department for these folks. So if they have an offer over $6,000 US, then we can come in and sell that with them. We usually help them create a new offer to make sure it fits. And we build that out. And then we build a lead generation system. We write their copy for them. I worked for a company called Traffic and Funnels for a while. And it was a huge learning experience for me and made good friends there. But one of the things that we found with any kind of a coaching program is that when someone is asked to become a copywriter, that's a huge, very specific skill set. And so writing the copy for our clients really seemed to take the barrier out of that. But we become the lead gen department and the sales department. And that's what we do. We try and keep it very simple. Love it. I love it. And you are really specific about who you work with, you can yeah. get great results for, and that's critical. That's critical. So we have found it to be. Every time we go outside our wheelhouse, it's an expensive learning journey, which is useful sometimes, but not when you don't want education. When you just want things to work, you just want them to work. Right. Got it. Well, just kind of build on the introduction that you gave me, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. I'm Mandy Ellefson. My company is handsoffceo.com. And what we do is we help service-based businesses like the closing engine. Mm -hmm. We help service-based companies that provide some kind of white collar service, lots of agencies, mm -hmm. but really the distinction is that it's a skilled service, engineering and Interesting. consultancies. Yeah. So what's an unskilled service or an edge case? So an unskilled service would be something like, what I really try to avoid is the blue collar services, like okay. the plumbers, the HVAC and all of that. Those are skilled, okay. but the thing is, is that it's very difficult. Their business models are so different. It's so completely different. It's a volume-based yeah. business. Mm -hmm. And also we have a, a real crisis here in a way that it's very difficult to find good blue-collar workers. Yeah. And that's just not a problem that I want to solve. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, okay. I can solve white-collar workers all day long yeah. and go from someone who's being able to take someone who's like minimum wage level worker and then have them do work that like a hundred thousand dollar a year engineer can do. Mm -hmm. I can do that. But that is a very different problem set than taking someone who like is willing to get up on a roof and, you know, yeah. risk their neck yeah. for a very low wage because the work is just not very profitable. Yeah. So I work okay. with companies that have very high margins because there's ways to add value in it. So what we do is we help set up a business, help transform the business so that it can be more profitable and actually can run without the owner. And what that allows them to do is be able to grow the company, like really focus on growing the company. And the people I typically work with are really good at selling or good at generating demand, but they can't quite grow fast enough because they can't deliver work fast enough. So yeah, that's kind of me. And that's awesome. what we do. This is actually kind of, do you know my client and, well, and friend, Katya Sarmiento? I think we've been introduced once, but we haven't had a chance to really connect yet. I want to introduce you again, if you haven't really. She's a dear friend of mine, and her partner, Laura Thompson, is on the kind of team building and HR side. And you're a lot closer to them than I had realized with some of the stuff. Y'all might be great resources for each other. That might be a really right. fun connection. Okay. Well, I'll introduce, I'm just taking notes here 
on all the things that I want to cover. And I want to make sure I introduce you to Katya again. Okay, cool. So I want to talk about hiring these people because we're bringing in a project manager right now, as a matter of fact. So all this stuff is really fresh on my mind. Hiring them, how to keep from overwhelming them. Do you ever use Colby profiles or personality profiling? Yes, Yes, I recommend those. Okay, let's talk about that as well. And then how not to suck a new person into the swamp of the existing business and overwhelm them, like proper onboarding and things like that. That's something I know a lot of visionaries, they get stuck in really, really easily because they don't have an onboarding process. And so I think that'll be fun to play with today. So, All right. That sounds good. Let's talk about personality types and the kind of person that should be in these roles. First of all, Mandy and I both use Colby profiles. And this is the, I have primarily just used the Colby A index so far. Do you use other ones as well or mainly that one? Colby A. Okay. Yes. Cool. Now, Colby, they divide people up into four ratings or four categories. So there's, now I've forgotten them. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Fact, fact finder, follow through, quick start, and implementer. Those are the four different numbers. So all Colby has four different numbers on it. And I was skeptical of yet another personality profile for probably about a year before several friends of mine, they finally got through to me and said, no, please just start paying attention to Colby. And I did. And I am sold. Like it is so much more useful than... DISC for this type of thing. And it's infinitely more useful than the Myers-Briggs kind of stuff for what I've found. So with the Colby profiles, a lot of times a founder is going to be high fact finder and high quick start. And that's, I'm pretty typical with that. I'm a 7373. So I go out and I find out a bunch of stuff about things and then I get going right away. That's my inclination. When I'm left to my own devices, my instincts are to start a project like this. Go find out a bunch of stuff and get stuck in. That is not the same as the way an operations manager is going to be thinking most of the time. Tell me some about what you look for and how you match people up. Okay, great. So I want... So what I was looking up my Colby A score Mm. and my operation manager, Jennifer's Colby A score. Jennifer, I'm throwing you out here. (laughs) But um, (laughs) what was really interesting was just how vastly different they were. And it was really confirming to me when I was hiring her that I was making the right decision. Like you said, my quick start is also exceptionally high. Um, Mm. At a 10, I'm nine, nine quick start. Yeah. My fact finder is actually three though. Mm-hmm. So you have a higher fact finder. I have a lower mm-hmm. fact finder, but other entrepreneurs I've worked with have higher fact finders too. I just kind of just, sure. I think it just depends on what your skill set is. And, and my follow through is a whopping four. <laughs> so you can facilitate in follow through. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> at well, least, no, at least you're not preventing a- in four in the follow through. I'm a preventer in follow through. So I, so I have to go hands off way early in projects. Otherwise I bog everybody down. I'm just so what number are you with that in follow through? I'm a three. So seven, three, three, seven, three is my profile. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what that means is that I need to find someone for an operations manager who definitely has much higher numbers than me, at least two. Jennifer has a seven. So I'm like, that's good. She Mm -hmm. should be 
that. And in, um, in that follow through category. Yeah. And her quick start is three. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a higher follow through and a lower quick start to offset the moving too quickly things. Like one of my, it's a blessing and a curse that like I can pick up an idea and move, 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 and I can get things off yeah. the ground very quickly and innovate very quickly. Mm-hmm. But it, and that is a really great skill set for a startup. It's a terrible skill set though, when you start really establishing your company and this is where you need to really be stepping out of the day to day. So you don't freaking screw it up because what you'll do is try to change everything and you need to have someone who can stabilize it. Mm -hmm. I've done that many times. Yep. (laughs) I know. So when I'm looking at a problem, sometimes like in our company, like the website's down or something like that, there could be a simple solution, but sometimes I'm thinking, Oh, well, maybe we just need to overhaul the whole thing because maybe <laughs> being updated, like, I don't act on these since impulses, it's right? Since anyway, why don't we, I mean, since we're going to be logged in, why don't we just change all this <laughs> stuff too? Yeah. So anyway, that's like a natural inclination that the stream of thought comes in and I'm like, all right, I'll listen, but we're not following through on that one. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> having that person on the team, even when you do verbalize that stream of thought, having mm-hmm. them being saying, okay, that's insanity. Let's not do that. Yeah. Maybe in a nicer way than that. But it's so important that you have that person as an operations manager who has the backbone yep. to be able to stand up to you too. And that's because we, we tend to have such strong personalities as founders, that reality distortion field that some people talk about, that they have to be so not just comfortable, but so able to stand up to that kind of a steamroller personality a lot of times. It's vital. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise they can't be effective. You need to have a leader, someone who has a proven track record of leading people Mm. and they need to be able to lead your team. So you setting the vision. So your job as a CEO is the what and the why. Mm -hmm. And their job is the how. And you need to step back and let them do the how. But it's Um, so hard, Mandy. It is. Hmm. It is. And, and here's the thing is that there's this balance here. Mm-hmm. Of, it's so hard to do it because you need to find someone you can trust that has the level of skill that you, Yeah, it, there's a lot of aspects to it. And I know this personally, because I've been through the same journey myself in hiring someone that I could train up to be an operations manager and just mm-hmm. like finding that right balance in it. So I get it. It's definitely a challenge, but here's the good news. Mm-hmm. Like, here's like a hiring hack on this, by the way. Okay. And by the way, you don't always have to hire this person. You might already have them in your team. You might have a really great project manager that you can actually move into an operations manager. And this is one of the things I know mm-hmm. we were excited about talking about was how to be getting the operations level talent on your team right now, even if you can't afford to hire a high level COO type of person that's going to be six figures. So what you can do in the meantime and be building them at the same time. So like I was saying before, what you are hiring is a leader. You have mm-hmm. to hire someone with a proven track record of being able to lead. And so interesting. You can develop the skills, the mindset, and their like raw talent, their soft skills. Those are the things that are the most important. Mm-hmm. The actual hard skills around this is the project management system that we use. This is how we deliver our services to clients. All that can be trained. Mm-hmm. And someone who's sharp can pick it up really quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. But someone who has a lower quick start, higher follow through, who you've done a number of tests to actually see how their brain works, to see if they have like a systematic way of thinking 
and that you're testing the way that they think all the way through your hiring process. That's interesting. Okay. What kind of thinking tests might I do? So here's what I've done because in this one test actually tests probably about 13 different things. Mm -hmm. One of the tests that I do and what I'm doing, and this is a service that we do for our clients. Do we do done for you hiring for operations managers? We give them the whole process to all of our clients. So even if they want to do it on their own, they're welcome to do that too. Awesome. Um, But really like every company as they're scaling, you really need to have a good hiring process. Um, That's why we give the process to them because it's really important to have that installed in your company. But there are certain times where you're looking at it and saying, for me to hire someone, for me to get this all set up, it's going to take me three months. For um, (laughs) hands off CEO to do it, it's going to take me three to four weeks. And Mm -hmm. they're going to actually help me with some of the training. So like them getting every month they wait could be costing them tens of thousands of dollars, or they might even be losing clients, right? They could actually be losing clients. So if it's an urgent thing, sometimes it makes sense to have someone do the hiring. But here's something that's really important that to be thinking about if you're going to outsource the hiring of someone, Mm -hmm. it is critical that they are understanding your culture and that they are hiring for culture because cultural fit is one of the biggest reasons why people fail. All employees fail because they don't fit. So that's one of the things that we are looking at and kind of coming back to what I was wanting to share before, Mm -hmm. we're looking at all the reasons why the people you've hired before have not worked out. Mm -hmm. And when you make a list of all the failure points that now you can formulate those into open-ended questions that you ask in the interview so that you Mm -hmm. can suss that out. And certain mistakes that I've made in the past, for example, one of the biggest mistakes that I made in the past with hiring operations managers is that is finding people who were not that committed. The last person I hired was fantastic and her skills were good. I loved her energy. She just was a real sweetheart. And I think that had the other things worked out, it would would have worked out quite well. There was Mm -hmm. one key thing missing Mm -hmm. and that she just wasn't committed to having a full-time position. She had come out of being a stay-at-home mom. And while she was a delightful person, working a full-time job was just not what she wanted to do deep down in her heart. So like it lasted about a month and a half, two months. But the great thing about it was that she, I actually had her do some key projects that actually, it cut our sales cycle 30 days off of our sales cycle Mm -hmm. and helped helped get some things in place that actually made it possible for us to really hire the next level person Mm -hmm. who was fantastic. So yeah, there are stages. And sometimes if it doesn't work out, I wouldn't look at it as a failure. You're collecting data. And if you set it up right, you can actually get value from them at each step of the road. Oh, yeah. I would say almost everybody that I've hired that ended up not working out, we still got a lot of value from our time together. And we even parted well. I can only think of two people that are not with us that it didn't work out because of like really bad, bad kind of situation stuff. So mm-hmm. there's no reason where you can't learn and grow together with all of this. Um, right. When you're talking about the cultural fit, what that makes me think of is the, we have a company culture page on the closing engine.com. I think it's the closing engine.com slash culture or slash company dash culture, something like that. And we just lay it out in, I don't know, two or three pages, what our company culture is like. And so we try and be very explicit about it 
here at the closing engine because I tend to think better because when I'm explicit, but does somebody really need that kind of thing laid out beforehand? Do they need it laid out in text or just as long as they know what their company culture is and can articulate it in some way, is that enough? Well, that's a really good question. And I've seen people do it. I've seen people now. I I think that the most important thing is that for you to have it articulated on the back end and you understanding it, you don't necessarily have to share it publicly, but at the same time, your company and the way that you show up, mm-hmm. it's very distinctive or it should be. Yeah. And if it looks like every other company, this is a big problem we see like with marketing agencies, they all look the same on their website mm. and they might have these values, but they're like, oh yeah, we stand by excellence and all this stuff. And it's total BS because it all looks the same. <sighs> It doesn't really mean anything. But here's the thing is that you want to be looking at what is really the value that your company brings your employees and Mm. why do they want to work there? And for some of our clients have distributed teams. So it's an opportunity that you can have parents that might want to be a little closer and have some flexibility. Mm -hmm. And that can be an incredible advantage to Mm -hmm. working for a company is that you have that flex time. So maybe it's like you have one flex day a week or something that you can move the schedule around a little bit. I don't really know, but you just be thinking about if what is really valuable about working for your company Mm -hmm. and what they get out of it. And I like to think of hiring people. This is, it's actually selling. It's a marketing process. Agreed. And it's flipped a little bit though, because Mm -hmm. they have to qualify themselves, but It is a marketing process for you to be actually going out and looking at how are we going to attract the high level people? How do we attract the A players? It's not about paying them, not what they're worth, but it's about getting the maximum talent that you have for your budget. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. also on the flip side, recognizing that when you have top players on your team, they're worth their weight in gold. They pay for themselves. They're free. Agreed. So when you hire a good high level person, you can think of them as they're free. Yep. Yep. But sometimes the reality is you just don't have the money in your company to pay for that level of person yet. So getting to the point where they are free, that's the tricky bit. Yeah. Right. So how do we bridge that gap? Mm -hmm. So this is the fun part we talked about, Okay. you know, hiring, and this is what you're doing right now. You hired a project manager Mm -hmm. or hiring I don't Mm -hmm. know if you hired them yet. We're in the process right now. Yeah. Okay. You're in the Mm -hmm. process of hiring them. So Mm -hmm. really what you want to be doing is hiring a project manager level person who you can develop into an operations manager. So the skill sets required for a project manager are similar to an operations manager. It's just an operations manager has a lot more responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at it too, is there's like a progression. So there's like, a virtual assistant or an assistant of some sort. Mm -hmm. And then the assistant can be moved up to a project manager, for example, if they have the right way of thinking, not any assistant, you'll be able to move into a project manager Sure. because some of them just actually, I don't think I would ever want to work with an assistant as a full-time executive assistant who couldn't develop into a project manager because it would mean that they were bad. Agreed. There's, I found so much in the, the kind of things I recently hired an assistant this summer and she's fantastic. And she helped us set this up. It's Tasha and she's moving more into a marketing role because that's what she enjoys more. We talked about it, et cetera. Everything's copacetic, but the skill set and the mindsets are different. Tasha's higher quick start than I am. 
And so she's great for figuring out, okay, what are we going to do for marketing stuff? Let's go do this. And that's where she really gets joy. And so we've had to flex with that. Both of us have had to say, okay, well, we've got some assisty type stuff to do here, but let's plan on moving in this direction and making sure that we stay happy and your career grows with the company and et cetera. So now I'm looking for another assistant <laughs> once Tasha fully moves out of that and, yeah. and realizing a lot of these things, just anticipating what comes next and being ready with that thing. That's not been easy to find over the years in general. Uh, right. Somebody who's ready with the next thing by the time we need it. There's a certain attitude that goes along with it and there's a skill set that has to be built as so well. So when you say ready with the next thing, are you thinking like being proactive and yeah. like anticipating the needs of the company and the employer? This goes back a long time, but when I was waiting tables, the best tables were the ones that didn't take a tremendous amount of time because you knew what they were going to do next. And so you were always ready with the next thing right at the time that they needed it. And it made it so much easier. Just that whole relationship was so much easier. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Well, a couple of things I want to say on that, but before we, okay. we, we talk about that, because there's ways to be looking at that in the hiring process. Mm. So you can like really suss that out. So it's an audition. Mm -hmm. So looking at what they'll need. Mm -hmm. And there are people who demonstrate that during the hiring process, which mm -hmm. is excellent. So, yeah. um, but I, what I wanted to just add something real quick, because you mentioned about moving your admin assistant into a marketing type of role. And that's mm -hmm. fantastic if you have an open slot with a marketing role and there is that. But what you don't want to do is hire people and then find positions within the company for them. Mm -hmm. If it adds value to the company and it makes a lot of sense, then do it. But mm -hmm. really, we want to be setting roles and then hiring people for those roles. And yeah. um, your org charts, especially the, the faster you grow, the faster you are going to be changing your org chart. If you have 100% growth, your org chart is probably going to be changing every three months. Mm -hmm. But um, Or even faster. I mean, it, it changes so quickly. Mm -hmm. But I would be thinking at least every six months, your org chart is going to be changing in a company that's growing. So just really be clear on these setting the roles, setting the agreements for each role or the job contract or the work agreement, you know, setting, and this applies for employees and it applies for contractors too, by the way, mm -hmm. setting those roles in your company and then hiring people based on that role and being mm -hmm. learning how to be unemotional about it, which is difficult. Nay, impossible. <laughs> it's, it's difficult because here's the thing is, is that the way that I actually find out if someone is a good fit is by getting emotional with them. Mm. Is that when I'm in an interview with them, mm -hmm. I've learned how to have them drop their guard and actually share openly with me. And I am shocked right. at some of the things that people will say. Sure. But that only works though, if there is an authentic connection. And I, mm -hmm. I have to actually like the person, mm -hmm. but I think that anyone I want, I'm interested in getting on the phone and hiring, mm -hmm. I like interviewing, they're going to be someone that I like, like I like yeah. something about them. Right. So anyway, one of the things that works instead of like creating this really rigid interview, like the person is just feels like they're being interrogated. Like they've oh, got a bright right. light in their eyes. Right. Yep. That's what most interviews are like. Mm -hmm. And you know, you've done this right. When at the end of the interview, they're like, that's the best interview. That was the most enjoyable interview I've ever had. It's just like, we got, 
because then they're going to drop a bit of the facade and you're going to actually have a better idea of what they really want. And Mm -hmm. this is critical that I learned from that other hire that I was explaining the mishap with, wasn't the mishap, but who wasn't committed. And now I have inserted certain questions in so I can test people's commitment level based on what they're really interested in doing. Um, Worst thing, what you don't want to hear is this. Something to the effect of them wanting to start their own company. This is not your right hand person. Like That is a CEO type, not a COO type. No, no, no. Yeah. They're two very different people. And um, there's a great book that goes into this called Rocket Fuel. Rocket Fuel. Thank you. I read it last month and loved it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably skip to the end chapter and get the whole thing in probably summary. So. But, yeah. But yeah, I think it makes a really good case for how different these people are. So yeah. if they have been a business owner in the past, move forward cautiously. It can be really good because, and Jennifer, my operations manager, she actually has been mm. a business owner in the past, but a business owner actually doing basically fractional COO type of work. Yeah. So so you want to be able to understand is that were they in their sweet spot as a CEO or are they in the sweet spot as a COO or like that level? Were, of were they that visionary or the integrator type of person exactly. while in that role? Yeah. Right. And what you want to hear mm-hmm. is the magical phrase of like, I just love taking someone else's vision and just putting it into reality. And it almost sounds like a joke. It sounds like someone just like planted it there. And yeah. I'm just like, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. Now, how many of those magical unicorn people, how many of those actually are self-aware enough to know to say that kind of phrase? You know what I mean? I mean, because that's a really unusual kind of thing to say. And when I first heard Cameron Harold talking about that with the second in command podcast, I was like, what? That's a thing. Okay. That's bizarre. So it was so weird for me to hear that kind of thing. It is bizarre because I can't imagine like that to me sounds like that sounds awful. I would never want to do that. Right. right? It's a totally different personality and set of desires and everything. But they love it. And something else I want to point out about the Rocket Fuel book. Okay. Is that. Target market for the Rocket Fuel book. Well, it is a really great book. The target market for it is like a $3 million company and up. Yeah, I that's true. It, yeah. Maybe it's even higher than that. But it's really targeted at companies that are like $5 million and up that actually have the budget for someone, a six-figure person in the company already. And it's also at a higher level. So yeah. they're talking about how these are basically unicorns and they're very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. However, with companies that are under $5 million, you need to have someone being able to run the day-to-day for you, period. You have to. You cannot grow the company without it. Otherwise, what this looks like, and I was just talking to a guy like an hour ago about this. He's working 90 hours per week as a half a million dollar company. And he is the one running the day-to-day. He is the CEO. He cannot grow the company like that. Is that you? Oh my gosh. It's the worst. I mean, I love my people. I love my team. I love my clients. But the type of work that I'm having to do whenever I get sucked, I mean, it's like emergency mode kind of stuff. And I can't do it for long, you know? I am not a manager long term. I'm a swooper, I guess you could say. And I I have to be able to swoop. (laughs) So (laughs) it makes a really big difference in my emotional well-being to be able to think in terms of projects and like, 
okay, for two weeks, I'm going to do this. And then for three weeks, I'm going to do that. And for a week, I'm going to do this and et cetera. And being able to move on to new ideas quickly. It's draining. It's draining to have to do the ongoing management of an existing thing. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to do it and that's fine, but it should not be a long-term thing. And here's the thing is, is that is what's missing in your company right now is that the problem is, is you own everything. You mm-hmm. have a team, but really at the end of the day, you own everything. So what that means is you got to come in and jump into the different parts when there's breakdowns. And um, yeah, it's more when something breaks than anything else that I have to get involved. When things are running smoothly, I have much less involvement necessary. There are only okay. a few things that as a regular occurrence, I have to really get into. We're actually building our org chart right now in December, and then we're going to rehire our people into that org chart um, once we do that stuff. And I'm confident in that process, but having a, a true integrator type, that's a very big difference from how we've been operating. And I've tried to do it several times, but I did it Mm -hmm. poorly before. I pick people with the wrong goals. Like, are they really committed to a full-time job? Do they really have the time? Do they have the emotional bandwidth to do this kind of management, et cetera? Do they have the same vision? One person that worked out well for a long time was a partner. I bought him out and we had diverging visions at some point. And so at that point, I didn't have a COO anymore and it made an instant difference in the company. It was telling. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, that's just some of my experience right. with this. <laughs> well, and you know what too, and this is why a lot of companies say, well, I need a partner to be able to grow someone who can handle that. Yeah. Now, in some cases that can be really great, but I Sometimes. see it fail a whole lot more often than I see it succeed. It's just Generally. the failure rate of partnerships is so high. And even when there's a success rate, there's like this constant tension. It's like a marriage. It really is like a marriage. And in yep. some cases it's fantastic. And you have it just this perfect mm-hmm. side. But the, the problem is, is that there is no, when you have a partnership like this, it's a 50, 50 deal and there's no CEO. So there might be a CEO and they might've even delineated that. But the problem is, is that there's at a stalemate because nobody's really in charge. Nobody's really driving the ship. Well, my remaining partner, Bob is our CFO, our controller. And I think it's 66, 33 or 60, 65, 35, something like that. So it's two thirds, one third, whatever that works out to. And that's worked out really well, but he's not trying to be on the same like he works well in that CFO role and we'll both step out of officerial roles at some point in the far future, but it's worked really well that way, but we need an operations manager. We need a right. manager for this. So, well, but I do like what you said there. There's good reasons to do that. Sometimes mm. it's just that I see a big mistake being made that you're like, I have this gap. I can't afford this person. Oh, I'll find a partner and bring it on. And it's disaster very often. And I've been um, blessed to avoid those disasters, but that's exactly the same reason that I did that in the past. Yep. Yeah. So I guess what it really comes down to is to understand that you can finance this person in your business without actually taking out loans. And how you do that is that you look at ways to add more value to your services so you can charge more. And that's how you do it. Okay. 
and I know you said that you actually create a new offer for your clients. So that's probably something you guys are already doing with your clients. That's something I'm really, yeah, that's in our wheelhouse. I'm really comfortable with that kind of thinking. Yeah. But that is hard well, for a lot of people. We it, have to just hammer some of our clients to be able to, I mean, we'll help them triple their prices so that they can afford to eat kind of thing. And they needed to do it whether or not we were involved. But it's shocking sometimes, especially with the smaller people who are coming out of freelancing. That's most of our clients is they're coming out of the freelance stage. Right. And what's happening is that it really kind of comes down to mindset, right? It comes Mm -hmm. down to mindset. And then also like kind of alluding back to what we were talking about in the beginning about how important it is to have that target market and be really clear on who you can provide Mm -hmm. the value for is what I'm seeing is, is just this, like, this is the wide gamut of all the different kinds of clients that people are working with. Mm -hmm. Now this client at this end, you might be able to offer, be able to add, you know, a quarter million dollars of new business every quarter, right? Mm -hmm. This other client on this other end, you might be able to add a thousand dollars extra a month. Like, so what happens is that they take the wide range of clients they work with and kind of average it out. Like, right. oh, you know, it's, I don't think anyone consciously does it, but it's insanity. <laughs> yeah. Instead of saying, and it's insanity, but I say this with, in, because they're the kindest intentions, because what's mm-hmm. happening is it's, it's really honest people who are saying, you know, I don't really know. I don't want to overpromise, and mm-hmm. I don't want to make people unhappy. So what they're doing is they're like hiding their very best stuff. Mm. So instead of saying, we're not really sure what we can provide, stop working with these, the lower 80%, just start working with these ones. And it doesn't mean you need to go out and fire all your clients right now, Mm -hmm. but it means you need to start transitioning Yeah. and looking at what that top 20% is and say, what are the characteristics that they need to have in place for us to almost guarantee results for them? Yeah. Yeah. For example, me going back to the blue collar services, Mm -hmm. like there's so much uncertainty there because I don't have the skill sets in a market where they have so much problems with drug abuse and people showing up drunk Mm -hmm. on working on roofs. You know, I can't control that. The good people have jobs in that market. It has a tight job market for good people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I know that I can't provide results in that service. I know that if I'm working in like B2B white collar services that provide a lot of value they're not a commodity that they're actually providing really great results that like, yeah, I know that like I could guarantee services working with them. And that's mm-hmm. where you can go instead of averaging it out saying, these are the people that we can provide the biggest service for put together a really awesome value proposition. Yeah. And then just go after them, just yeah. go after them. You're nodding your head. I'm preaching to the choir here. Yeah. But it's not something that I've heard applied to an ops manager, like make the ops manager pay for themselves right off the bat. I had never really put those two different pieces by changing your offer. Wait, those seem like two very different things to me, but you're saying they're not. Well, the problem is a company is not going to be ready for that level of team. Yeah. You have to be able to finance your growth. Yeah. And being able to finance the operations manager, you have to be finding the profit in your business. The easiest way to do that is to be looking at how can we add more value? Right. Easiest way to add more value is just to move upstream and only be working with the kind of clients that you can provide massive results for. And you charge double, triple, quadruple the amount. We've had to do some of that lately. We've raised our sign-up fee to about the $17,000 range. And it used to be, goodness, this time last year, I think we were charging $4,500. 
I mean, it's just a crazy difference because of all the, we're doing so many different things for people now. We've shifted a lot inside the business, but we also now, if we look at somebody's business and they don't have the drive, the ability, the field expertise, the potential for scaling, if we don't think they can break the $2 million a year mark in a year and a half with us, in two years with us, we won't take them as a client. I mean, that's a pretty hard limit for us now is, can this business make $2 million a year? That's what we're looking for with almost everything. And we don't find that we have to turn a tremendous number of people down for that, but we're already kind of out of the crystal healer space. We've never really operated with those folks. So it's made a significant difference in the way that we think about these. We've had to get our processes lined up a lot more and we're so far from being where I want to be on that, <laughs> but yeah. it's been it's been a fascinating journey just to see how going upstream has had to, well, it's changed the way we've had to think. That's yeah. been the big thing. We've had to well, think very and, differently. And right now you're looking at what do they need to have in place in order for us to be able to generate these amazing results for them? You're now yeah. seeing that. Yep. So, you know, a target market, I don't know if you're going after these people, but I've talked to them and they're people who I have a harder time working with because they're just not able to generate the demand. Mm -hmm. So their biggest problem is more leads. And I tend to work with companies that if they have the time, they can sell like crazy. But what I find is that the more visual side of designers, like design agency, they're, they're multi-seven figure companies, yeah. but they depend so much on referrals. Yep. Yep. So that's something that I see. And then the architects too. Again, they're just so based on referrals. You can't grow business like that. What are you saying about those people? That they would be a good target market for you to oh, hit. Oh, I see what you mean. Interesting. They can grow to a certain point through referrals, mm -hmm. but they have a difficult time growing much further than that. And they have the ability to add $2 million yeah. if someone's there to sell the work. Then yeah. it can become an operations problem too. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm sure. Do, do you yep. run into that? Then, the then it's time to bring in somebody like you or Katya to help deal with that operation stuff. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, what we do now with our existing clients, we say, okay, as soon as operations is a problem, we're bringing in someone for operations and we're going to cover it out of this budget, out of the marketing and sales budget to make sure that you're taken care of there. We really don't want their either head trash or their operations, weird organization and everything to get in the way of being able to sell more. So yeah, we want to be able to, fulfillment is key. Fulfillment is key. Right. Well, and that's so important too, when you're talking about when you bring on clients mm -hmm. or when you have your clients, you know, triple, quadruple their fees. Now they've got to really be able to deliver that. Yeah. Yeah. We help make sure that the package that we build is a scalable package, that mm -hmm. fulfillment that they're going to have to do. Any sale is a promise. Well, if we're not fulfilling on what we've promised, then we're hurting somebody. And so we have to make sure that we are fulfilling what we've promised. That's what everything comes down to. And right. it has to be something that doesn't suck down 90 hours a week either, because that's going to crush the client and it's going to be a short relationship for other reasons. So, yeah. wow, that's a lot of stuff right there. We've been going almost an hour already and we haven't even <laughs> talked about hiring the salespeople, but I will say thank you so much. <laughs> um, you've been so generous with this kind of information. 
Okay. Probably the biggest thing that you've mentioned before that was fascinating to me was growing someone into that role rather than hiring an ops director at 150K or something like that. What do you do when you're growing someone into this type of role? Because growing someone into a sales role is so obvious to me from a sales perspective. That's what I've done for a long time. This kind of thing where I don't have the expertise, what are you looking for all along and what kind of training are you giving them and et cetera? So I'll tell you how we do it because oh, sure. I think <laughs> Let's the, do the best way to, to do it because here's the thing is that CEOs need development as they're growing their company mm-hmm. and their team needs development. Their mm-hmm. job actually as the, how they advance as a leader is by growing their leaders. That's how you advance as a yeah. CEO is growing leaders and you grow leaders who grow other leaders too. That's even, that's like the next level even. Right. So what we do is we look at where is the gap for them to truly be ready for that next level. And then we utilize that person that they've hired to fill that gap in. So we have a lot of processes for how we do this and we use that project manager. Let's just use an example. We use that project manager to actually build out all those systems that then they step into and are, they're managing. Mm -hmm. So what we do You know, going back to that building more value and selling it, Mm -hmm. we take that service that you've now innovated. So you've sold it more and you've had some kind of like, maybe there's like five-step process around it. Now we Mm -hmm. take that and I call that the client success map. Yeah. And we take that success map. So we start with sales, sell first, deliver Mm -hmm. next. You'll like that, right? And by the way, most operations person, people do it the wrong, do it the other way. And they kind of ignore the whole sales factor. Not a good way to do it. Mm. So you sell first and you're recognizing this is the offer. Now you're actually building a blueprint. A validated offer. An elevated offer, right? And then okay. you're, you're building a service delivery blueprint. And your team is building this blueprint. You're going to set the what and the why. And you're going to help orchestrate that. You're going to help your project manager orchestrate it. But this is really mm. a job that your project manager builds up the entire management framework the management framework around it and they manage that. And we're talking specifically about service delivery because this is the biggest part where the gaps are. There's also okay. sales and marketing and all that too. And, and uh, you guys take care of that. So that's not even as relevant, but you need to have a blueprint for how things are managed. And what this does, it tells how there's a streamlined way for how 80% of the work is done. Mm-hmm. So 80% of the work is standardized. 20% is the magic. It's the custom work. Right now, when you're doing it this way, it makes it a scalable service that Mm -hmm. allows you to divide up the labor between Mm -hmm. your brains and your hands. Your brains people are your operations people, your other managers, the strategists that you might have on your team, but your hands are more of the admin people. It's important that you divide up those roles so that you're not overpaying for implementation. Mm. Yeah. So your team puts together this blueprint and this actually develops them as a, a leader. And is and this it, like OKR kind of stuff? I don't know. OKR. What do you mean? Um, the objectives and key results kind of stuff. Yeah, that there's definitely part of that, but it's really looking at what are the milestones? What needs to happen at each stage? Oh, okay. okay. What are the deliverables? And also having an early detection warning system where you, I, huh. I call it like green light tracker. So that you know when projects go to yellow. 
Yeah. When your clients are going to yellow, you know, so they don't get to red because what's happening is that without that detection system, then what happens is the owner is the detection system. And they have suffered from that several times. Yeah. All in your head. And you can be looking and realize, oh my gosh, I have 30 of these projects inside my head. How did this not explode? Right. Yeah. And I've had one of those moments before too, when I really thought I had things documented, but then when I broke it down with my operations manager, Mm -hmm. I realized, oh, I actually was holding on to a lot more information than I thought in my mind. And you can't always end up there. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's removing that from that. And that's removing the obligation for the business owner Mm -hmm. to be doing that. And the business owner will be pulled in, but it's going to be at predictable places. Right. So the real problem is not necessarily that the business owner is doing any of the day-to-day work. It's just that they're doing unexpected day-to-day work and fighting fires. Mm. It's distracting and it's draining. By Mandy, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense. So it's really having that management blueprint set up. Your team puts that together. You don't. You Mm -hmm. oversee it. You lead it. But that's training ground for your, your project manager to elevate to an operations manager. Now, if your team is putting that together and I don't, how do I know that it's going to work? Aside from the, well, trust your people, hire people you can trust and then trust them. What kind of safeguards, what kind of, I don't know, it, it feels very non-checky and balancey there Yeah. when it's it, just it assign it to the team. And and this is the problem where I'm sharing this in a matter of five minutes and it's an incomplete process. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. So unfortunately, you people do, are going you to You do put feedback loops in place for all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, okay. definitely. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, is some people are going to listen to this, this five minute part of here and say, okay, I've got enough information. I can go and do this. <laughs> and this is like um, the biggest part of the business. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing is the difference between whether you can double your company or not is yeah. that if the owner can count on the team to do it. And right. this is the right. structure that you put into place that checks and balances mm-hmm. so that you have one report that shows to you where the progress is for every project. Mm-hmm. And for you to understand that for them to be bringing to you, say that the ones that are in the yellow mm-hmm. saying, this is what's happening. We're starting to, what we should see is not happening. Mm-hmm. So instead of it getting way till the very end and then the owner having to come in and save right. the day, mm-hmm never done that before right (laughs) let's catch it when it's still lime colored maybe not forest green but lime into yellow that's where i want to really catch these things yeah right yeah so you really want to be catching them early Mm -hmm. so then it's your team saying you know what i'm seeing this go off the rails a little right we're getting off track from Mm -hmm. our goals this is what i suggest that we do Mm -hmm. how does that sound and they're bringing the solutions to you yes that's a very different, and that's like a scheduled meeting that you're having every week yeah. for the progress on the client projects. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you'll be completely out of those meetings. You'll have program directors that are the ones in charge of that. Yeah. Now, if you don't have the system in place, what it will require is for you to continually invest very high amounts in people who have 10, 20 years experience, the same amount of experience that you do. Right. And they may be good. And they may not be good. Mm-hmm. But if you have a really clear blueprint for how your services are run, mm-hmm. then you can count on it being done no matter who's doing it. Yep. 
You still yeah. need skilled people. I'm not saying that you could just. But there's technical not, skill and there's strategic skill. They're two very different things there. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm and this is what's very different about the, my scale to freedom process is what I call it mm-hmm. versus like the e-myth system. Yeah. The e-myth system is great if you're selling hamburgers or pies. Those right. are his examples, right? Uh, just pies, for example. Right. But not so good when you're selling high-end custom services because yeah. what their solution is to dumb everything down, turn right. it into a commodity so that right. you can pull any idiot off the street to do it. Yeah. Which doesn't work when you're selling, you know, fifty hundred thousand dollar projects. Exactly. So anyway, I hope mm. that that gives you more That's perspective. Brilliant, kind of- Mandy. Yes, <laughs> it really does. That gives right. perspective and it gives me confirmation of several things that I'm doing and encouragement as well. I mean, that's this is a hopeful thing. And these are exciting processes to put in place, not just, oh, now I have to go do paper, a blueprint of paperwork. No, it's not that kind of thing at all. It's very much, okay, here's where we're headed. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sure. And where that really starts is looking at the big picture of it, the big Mm -hmm. picture, and then you're delegating out each one of those pieces to your team who have experience in them. And that's kind of where some of the checks and balances come from. Yeah. They're building out the internal pieces of the big system that you're building. And that's a new concept to me as of just a couple of months ago, I've been oh, this is possible. Oh, that's a thing. We don't have to collaborate. We don't have to brainstorm it together with me in the meeting. They can come up with these by themselves and I'm not abdicating my responsibility. And oh, that's amazing. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that kind of thinking. That's great. It brings you to tears. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It literally did at one point. Yes. Yep. I know exactly what you're saying. I've Mm. had one of those teary moments where I'm like, this got done completely without me. And it was a really high skilled thing that I was just- It's my favorite feeling. A thing happened without me. It's my absolute (laughs) favorite feeling in the business. And I've talked about that for about a year now. Once I started hiring people or bring them in as partners or or whatever, where they had the, have you read anything by Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team, the ideal team player? Oh, I can't recommend him highly enough. He's so Mm. great. I actually have heard of that. I just had okay. to take, take a take Ideal a team player. He talks about really it can be boiled down to three words. Humble, hungry, smart. Humble, keep your ego out of things. Go above and beyond for your teammates. Put them first. Serve other people. Servant leadership. A lot of stuff like that. You don't need to hog the spotlight. You can take criticism well. You can give criticism well without any false modesty, etc. Hungry is the go above and beyond. Be ambitious for yourself and for the company make things happen. Again, anticipate other people's needs and be forward looking. And then the smart is kind of EQ type stuff. Do you know how you're coming across to other people? Do you know how they're perceiving you? Do you know the effect you're having on other people? And I've found that any time that we've had a significant problem in the company, at least one of those things was missing. (laughs) It was e-mything. We were missing that either from my attitude or from the other person's attitude there. I was not being smart with the way I was talking to people or they weren't being hungry with the way they were approaching their job or their entire career, etc. I haven't found any exceptions yet. And that's an unusual concept that can hold up under that amount of prying and prodding that I put into things like that. So... Anyway, highly recommend yeah. the ideal team I would, player. I, I would agree with that. 
those are the soft skills. Like I was mentioning that, mm. you know, 75% of people fail because of attitude and yeah. because of fit. That's it's why I feel, that's why I fail almost every time. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're not alone in this, so it's not surprising. So, Mm. well, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk about sales, unfortunately, but I think we talked about sales weaving it in with it. A little bit, but we can get into that another time. No problem. I didn't mean to hog the stage and take the microphone. I've got to talk. I I thought I was hogging the question stage. So thank you so much for answering all these questions. That's fantastic. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Hands-Off CEO. Don't forget to download your free scalability roadmap, a checklist that will help you scale up your custom service business with what you have right now. Go to handsoffceo.com slash roadmap. That's handsoffceo.com slash roadmap.